Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. everybody and welcome. Um, I'm Lisa, your host here with the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter and the Stitch Please podcast as centers Black women, girls and femmes in sewing. And I am once again, as I always say, delighted, thrilled and very grateful to have the guest I'm speaking with today. This is Naja Carroll from Wanna Be Sewing Something and she is absolutely amazing. She is a sewist. She is a recovering corporate worker. She is a homeschool teacher. She is a blogger and influencer and just really amazing and one of the warmest persons I have had the privilege of speaking with on this podcast. So, Naja, welcome. Thank you for having me, Lisa. This is a pleasure. So, I wanted to get started to get you thinking about if you could tell us what Tell us your sewing story. How did you get started in sewing? You do so much. And I think it's nice for people to think about what the beginning looked like for you. So tell us, can can you identify if you were to tell your sewing story and how you got started? Does it start with sewing as a small child? Does it start with sewing as an adult looking for a corporate? And I'm sorry, looking for as an adult looking for some type of fun and pleasurable thing. How did you get going? I learned to sew as an adult. There was sewing in my house. Costumes and things like that would happen, but I didn't get into it. I I, I was just the one to wear whatever was made. I grew up with my stepmom, and she was real crafty. But sewing for me happened when I moved from California. I'm a Californian, born and raised in Silicon Valley, and I moved to D.C., and I finished up school and got my first corporate job, which happened to be my only job or rather my uh, career uh, at one company. And I worked for this tech company and, and rose fast in the company. I got really into all of the work and I was on a keyboard and looking at a screen all day. And I've always been a polymath, so I need to be doing lots of different things. So that just wasn't going to work for me, just sitting on a screen for 12-hour shifts. And I worked the midnight shift and the knock. They call it the network operations center. And anyway, I needed to do something with my hands that didn't involve a keyboard. So I went to G Street Fabrics and learned. Oh, I love that place. Yes. in Just smitten instantly when you walk in the door. And I took a quilting class. I'm not a quilter, but I did it anyway. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I ever even finished that. I probably never even finished it. But I was immediately loved sewing. And it just became like a little side hobby on the side for a while. But it was... After I'd gotten married, after I got married and and gotten real, got my groove in the corporate world, that I started realizing that this hidden talent of sewing that I had could be used for garments. So I've only been garment sewing, even though I've been sewing for twenty years. I've known how to sew for twenty years. I've only been garment sewing for the last decade, and as a garment sewer, there's 
the stages <laughs> that you go through where you, you start buying quilt and fabric and sewing things with quilt and fabric until you realize. <laughs> oh, wait, this is pretty, but it's not going to be what I actually need, but I want it. So yes. what do I do? Yes. And then you, you get caught into the whole pattern thing. And I listened to your Joanne episode. So I identified with that whole that oh whole yes getting caught up in shopping and then the, it is so bad the disillusion you show up and your whole day gone because the sale wasn't the sale that whole thing so I went through all that accumulated too much fabric accumulated too many patterns trying to figure it out and you and trying to self-teach <clears throat> and um I'm five feet tall so <laughs> starting with patterns made no sense for me but I, I muddled my way through it and found some things that worked but it was it was hard uh for me so sewing was actually for me garment sewing was uh, more of a rescue it was very functional for me because nothing fit fit nothing ever I preferred looking at myself naked <laughs> than wearing well, hey, clothes. That's, that's very useful. People need to enjoy their naked bodies more, in my opinion. Yeah. I, well, it was just an <laughs> awkward thing to be in my 20s trying to date and all this other things and find my way in my career and never, ever being comfortable in my clothes. So I was like, I'll solve that problem. And I thought that sewing, going to Joanne's, pick up the pattern, doing all that would have been the way. But my way to garment sewing was 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 hard because I had to learn backwards that mm. fitting for my body required uh, custom sewing. So that's that took yes. me to that. Yeah. It's so interesting that as you described, I think something that people struggle with is that if you don't think about a pattern as, as a set of suggestions, mm-hmm. if you think about the pattern as like the Bible or as mm-hmm. the core text or as the only answer, then you're going to leave feeling like you're not, yet your body's not right. I don't know. I just feel that sometimes if when people don't know that patterns are designed for a certain build of people, um, people who apparently, if you look at some of these instructions, have teeny waists and teeny hips and no boobs. Yes. And I'm like, but... I'm I'm not a pencil. Yeah. And and I'm and because God is good and also great, I have a booty. Mm -hmm. And so like all of these things I have to mod- have to modify. And I think if you go into it thinking like, oh no, I'm not right. Mm-hmm. Therefore, and then that makes you feel bad when in fact it's the pattern that's not right. The pattern exactly. is the one that's the limitation. It's not you. Yes. And so I think that that's one of the things I love about you and the work that you're doing with getting people to to think carefully about their sewing yes, in a way that empowers them. That's what, that's something I love about your overall approach and how you talk about this in your blog and other places about Mm -hmm. making these adjustments. It's not because there's anything wrong with us. Mm -hmm. It is everything to do with the pattern being designed in such a way that can't meet the needs of anybody and everybody who picks it up. Absolutely. I had to find myself in these patterns and I also had to recognize that I was altering other people's work. So once I saw that I I was doing that, I went, wait a minute. Because for me, for some people, first of all, sewing from a pattern, and I'll say this, uh, I may offend people, but sewing from a pattern. Go ahead. I offend people all the time. (laughs) Go for it. It's a privilege to be able Mm -hmm. to pick up a pattern and cut into it without making changes or with only making a few changes. I'm tall, so I made this longer. That is a privilege. I learned that the hard way, like the first couple of years of garment sewing. I cried I cried on the floor with this 
with this tissue just engulfed in it because I didn't know, I didn't understand. And that's where all the expos and learning. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is a thousand hour program. This is like, this is learn how to alter these patterns. And finally, mm-hmm. I, when I said enough is enough, I went to one of these expos and it was uh, Judith Rasband who, rest, may she rest in peace. She mm-hmm. did a book yes. called, I think it's called Pattern Fitting or Fitting, uh, where is it? I can't remember the name of it here. Um, I don't even keep it out anymore because I don't want to be tempted to open it because it is a book of nothing but pattern alterations. And it's awesome. It's a hundred dollar textbook. And I bought mm-hmm. it from her at an at a, at a expo and she gave me a fit evaluation, took me behind oh. a curtain, had this little clipboard and evaluated all of my various corrections that would need to happen when I used a commercial pattern. Mm-hmm. And that paper, first of all, it was two to three pages and it had these illustrations on it of all the different body shaping situations and it mm-hmm. was full of red pen just just like I, I failed a oh test yeah I didn't I sh- red pen now I'm an English professor so I know I'm certainly going to be triggering people I, and, and I deliberately do not write on my students papers with red pens mm-hmm. because I think a lot of them have flashbacks that's exactly um, what about happened. that that's but exactly. like it definitely yeah when that, that it sounds exactly right that you feel when you even to call them corrections mm-hmm. as opposed to saying I'm going to correct this broken pattern you say, oh, no, too bad I can't. And and I love how you said that it's a privilege to sew without pa- altering a pattern. Yeah. People it's, should it, recognize that. I agree with yeah. you. People should absolutely. If you can if you can pull up the pattern and you happen to be built like the model, mm-hmm. then you are then that's you are in a really good. Not, <laughs> I guess you're in a good position, a lucky position, mm-hmm. but it's also a rare position. Yeah. And one of the reasons that people sew is because they want clothes that fit and they want to enjoy the process. But for the, the but for many people. So many alterations are required to get a standard big four pattern to fit That's right. that it really can demoralize you. Like you were saying, curled <laughs> up on the floor with the tissue paper. I'm like, I'm not letting this pattern that I got on sale for $2 make me cry. Oh, hell no. Oh, the no. investment. If you think about the amount you paid for it and the investment that you put into it, it's like, why? It, you know what it is? It's the equivalent of self-checkout. Hmm. Tell me more about that. My husband hates self-checkout. No, it's the principle, right? It's the principle. Self-checkout at a grocery store. I'm doing your job. So I got to pick my groceries, put them in my cart and check myself out and put it in a bag. And pay for it, and, and pay, pay it in my car, Where's and the- take it home, and cook the food. Like, where is I, like? Am I just like a work machine? Yes. Twenty four hours. Like, when I go and use self checkout, I'm like, where's my check? Can I get part of this check? And then I think about the cashier who didn't get to get paid for that my job. So anyway, <laughs> that's no, that's 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 my husband's take. He's, no, they're just doing this so that they can hire fewer cashiers. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Like, why am I working for this store? Yes. I come here to shop, not to work. <laughs> well, that's how I felt. And I understood that, like with, with the pattern, all of the alterations. And that's just my story. If, if you if you are privileged enough to cut directly into a pattern and so for great, that's a great is- experience. But I transmuted that whole experience once I realized, oh, wait, this red lines on all of this. <laughs> I have eight to 10. That's what she said. Eight to 10 pattern corrections. And I've done them all before, but I'm not going to do that anymore. (laughs) 
like for every, if you think about it, for every yeah. single one, yeah. right? Every single one. For me, it's like the upper arm bicep adjustment. Yeah. Get that right. Mm-hmm. Um, full bust adjustment so it's not too tight under the arm. Sway back adjustment because I have the sway back. I also, but as I said, the weights yeah. slow down. There is nothing wrong with your body, and those adjustments are labels that make That's you right. think about your body. That would, first of all, you don't have a sway back. You happen to have everybody's spine has a natural curve to it, and if you are of African mm. descent, that curve may be more exaggerated because of the extra meat in your lower half. And what is that's nothing but your natural body. So to have to be told that it, mm. it's a syndrome or it's a thing to even name it that way, no, right? Mm-mm, no, don't do that, man. You better. You better, it's not Sunday, but you better keep preaching. I tell you what. (laughs) Yes, I know. So that's part of where that right there, that exact experience of being told that your body doesn't meet a standard and therefore there's something wrong with it. So please correct, make these corrections so that this pattern will fit you. That is a Sojo killer. Yes. Yes. You are so right. Yeah. You are so right. So because it could be demoralizing. Mm-hmm. It can be. And, and it once in a while, and, and for those of us who get past that and, and who still want to sew with patterns, we'll have figured out which pattern companies work for them. And they'll, 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 they'll have, a, get it down to a minimum of, of alterations and all that. And they'll work through that. And that's great. And they'll get their TNTs and sewing becomes much better. But in those beginning stages, when we're sharing in, this, in our socials about our sewing experiences, it's helpful to remember that if you can pick up a pattern and just go, you know, that it's, it's like natural hair too. There's another metaphor. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. The natural hair. You know what it's like? It's like what, for me, when I was breastfeeding my, my first kid, I, we, it was hard. Yes. It was hard. And I was, we were, I was in the hospital still and he wasn't eating and he wasn't latching and we had a lactation consultant come. And, and the thing that I learned was breastfeeding is natural, but it's not automatic. Yes. And that, and, and then it, obviously it all worked out. He is 21 years old and very healthy and whatever. And it all worked out in the end. But at the time it just felt like the worst feeling in the world. That is the same experience. I went through 12 weeks of natural birth training with my husband. I went through all this. I was like just going at it as crunchy and as black and proud as I could be. And then breastfeeding was a struggle. Just like pattern mm-hmm. fitting. <laughs> yeah. so, yes. You know what it is? It reminds me of what Dr. Joy Harden Brad, um, Bradford says from Therapy for Black Girls. She stops shooting on yourself. Mm-hmm. I should do this. I should do that. I should be able to make this pattern work. Mm-hmm. I should be able to breastfeed really easily. I should. And it's stop doing that. Yes. And once you stop doing that and you take that language out of your vocabulary... Uh, you become happier. That's instantly. right. <laughs> That's right. The pressure, the expectations that we put on ourselves sometimes are and unrealistic. So yes. Abs, they are absolutely unrealistic. And it's so funny because they come from sources that are not us. And it takes a minute to track down where those things are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do that and you're like, oh, wait, wait, this is somebody else's shit I'm carrying. I don't need this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And that's the thing, too. Working somebody else's pattern. That's somebody else's problem. That is somebody who had to make something fit everyone but no one. And that's, yeah, I learned that from my sewing teacher who 
got me away from, got me thinking about custom. You no, know, she was like, oh, these things aren't meant for you. Oh, wait, they're not, right? If you, if you get taught sewing by somebody who has only sewn for individuals, the frame of reference is very different. It's very selfish, right? Because you're like, no, I need it to fit this body, my body, not everybody. So fashion, when fashion gets melded with sewing, it can be problematic, especially for somebody new to sewing or maybe you've been sewing for five years, but you've been struggling with commercial patterns for five years. Like you said, understanding the source of that struggle, that it's not you. It's mm-hmm. it's the system, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, I, and I do think that this is something that the industry is starting to hopefully slowly realize that they do have the same systems of oppression that affect everything else in this country show up in sewing. Absolutely. Um, it's a reflection. And I, it is an absolute reflection. The way that we have the, what, what, what Carolyn from Diary of a Sewing Fanatic mentioned when she was on the podcast, they have a thin problem. Mm-hmm. A thin problem that, you know, that so many of the pattern covers and envelopes and sizing are, are leaning toward the needs of people who are really thin, really, really lean, and it's not realistic in any way. And yet the there's no measures or very few measures being steps being taken to correct it. Or and even, even if you're not going to correct it, I just think it's important to I don't know. People should feel good about their sewing and feel like they don't want, no one wants to go into a sewing project feeling like you're about to fight, you know? <laughs> it is. It can be provocative. And and who wants cortisol involved oh. with their creativity? Not, I don't. No, no. There's a little, like when you're trying to solve something, but there's that healthy amount of just, ooh, I want to get this done. But to to, to feel angst or, or, or even sadness or depression over what you're trying to oh do. I mean, oh my gosh, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. No one needs that. This is supposed to be fun, y'all. It is. It so, is. <laughs> can we shift a little bit? I want to sure. talk about your sewing blogging because I am loving what okay. I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Okay. And I feel as though with your blog and the work that you did there, it was a continuation in some way of this type of conversation. Yes. Of talking about the process of of talking about adjustments, not just fit adjustments, but in some ways like mental and emotional adjustments that people make or think about when they are sewing and doing garment construction. Can you talk a bit about your blog and when you started and what some of your hopes for that were? Yes, I can. I have definitely shifted a little bit in my blog brand or my social media brand. I have a blog called Want to Be Sewing Something, and that's it accompanied my journey into garment sewing. And it started with joining a weekly sewing group blog. I guess it would be the way to refer to it. It was called The Sew Weekly, and it's it's so old that the page isn't even up anymore. But there was in the beginnings, well, maybe not the beginning, beginning, but 2000 to 2012 was when the sewing blogging world caught on fire and the, the communities found each other. And there were a lot of us like Carolyn and Marcy and uh, Erica and Erica. Erica yes. Uh, Renee from Miss Seely's Pants. All of these. Yes, yes. Yeah. All of us found each other a little bit in these circles and we'd bump into each other. This was before there were all these and they're socialists now. There's so many communities now. But in the beginning, there was only a handful. Oh, and Topeka of Pattern Review, of course. There, oh, yes, yes. <clears throat> 
So we all went in different circles and, and one of the circles was this So Weekly blog that had gotten started up where where, where there were a lot of contributors and each week there was a theme and you'd come up with something to sew for that theme every week for a year. And why would I get into garment? Like, why did y'all decide to decide to just get around and haze each other? I'm I, trying to understand. No, and, and in hindsight, I think about this and I, it's, it's a great story. It's a great story. But in hindsight, I'm like, what in the heck was I doing? It was, it, and I didn't finish the year. It was ridiculous. I, I was just like, oh no. Uh, and it was optional. You didn't have to finish the year. But I think, I think maybe, uh, let's say 10 out of 50 of us something like that did every all 52 weeks. Um, oh my gosh. But it, you made a, di- you made a different thing. Yeah. So I got through every 25, week. 26 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Mercy. And blogged about it. So it was, that was, and I got into garment sewing. Like I was only like two years in and I was like, okay, yeah. And I'm like, what was I doing? But I'm like that. I love a challenge and, and that's what gets me going. I'm a fire sign. So I was like, all right, let me, let me, let me warm up this fire. But it was crazy. And that was how my blocking started <laughs> once a week. And the thing is, is that it was challenging me because I'm also a writer and I wanted to tell this story about my blogging. And I like to use play on words. And part of the blogging experience as a contributor was to name whatever it is you made with a fancy title that would start with, so you could come up with your own thing, your own name. And so I was like, oh, great. This is where I can express my writing creativity. Um, and, and and not only can I make something, but I can give it this this catchy name that would be the, the title of the blog entry. So I'd come up with things like the dress tangle, which you saw. In, oh, yeah. yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I want to talk about the dress tangle. Continue, though. Continue. Yes. Yeah. And, and I had these 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 awesome names. The dress tangle, I think, started off as the hip to be square top, which, you know, was a play on a Huey Lewis and the News song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things like that would happen. Every theme would give me this chance to make something, whether from a pattern or self-drafted and and and. But the week, the one week wasn't, the, the contributors would get a bit of a heads up. So we might know maybe a month ahead of time what the themes are, but you're still sewing weekly. And between having all my pattern corrections, having to make so many alterations, if I wanted to sew from a pattern and the deadline, I burnt myself out. <laughs> I, th- just listening to this is making me tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, damn, I already have a job. What am I doing? I did. And at the time, no, I was working. I was working. I was, I, I, we were in the middle of starting a family. So we were, I was trying to procreate and I was creating, I was trying to make a baby and make clothes every week. Anyway, it was, it was wild. It was wild. Uh, But I, I look on the, back on the experience with fondness, but also as a word of warning to any, so as to are getting into the hobby and feel compelled to join all these challenges and participate in all these things. It's not the, the steadiest stress, the, the most stress-free way to, to get into the hobby, I don't think. <laughs> yes, you're setting yourself up um, and you want to make sure you set yourself up for success and not more stress. <laughs> yeah, and also to the outcome. When you're sewing at that speed, the garments you make are probably not going to be 
at the level that you'd want. And if your goal is to just make stuff to say, Ooh, look at me, look what I made. Okay. That's cool. Then do that thing. But if you want to make things that you wear and love and that reflect who you are and your authenticity and that stay in your closet for years, which is my goals, then speed selling is not the ticket. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I respect that. I'm definitely a speed sewer. I like to make things. And then my sisters came to visit me at Christmas and my closet was out of control, <laughs> completely out of control. So my sisters, because they love me, took we took everything out of my closet, all the clothes out of my closet and went through them. And at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, my sister was like, Lord, don't let us fall out over these clothes. That was her prayer. <laughs> we began, Lord, don't let us fall out over these clothes. Why did she um, say that? Was it, what was the oh, contention? Be, 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 the contention was I had made all these clothes. Oh, and you thought, and, she thought there was some emotional thing? Oh, because there was. Oh my gosh, girl, for every piece of clothes they took out, they were like, what about this? I was like, okay, so I bought that fabric from Mood Fabrics in 2018. It was about $22 a yard. It's really special to me. And they were like, but you said that about the last dress. And I was like, yeah. So I, so I bought that fabric um, in Manhattan in 2019 and it was about $18 a yard and it's very special to me. And it's like, Lisa, every piece of clothing in here that you have made cannot be very special to you. It's just not allowed. You need to go through. So at the end of the day, I ended up with three huge lawn and leaf bags Mm. full of clothes. And I went on Facebook and I was like, okay, y'all, I'm cleaning out my closet. Come get these clothes. And people were snapping them up. They're like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. You you released them. I released them to some very happy people. One uh, one of my friends is a kindergarten teacher in town. And she was like, I wore your dress to school and the kids thought I was a princess. Oh, see, and I have to think about that. See, no one would wear, no one could wear mine because I'm, I'm so uniquely built. I don't know anybody Mm -hmm. else that's a curvy hobbit. I'm going to stop it, girl. No, I'm just saying, I I make, I make jokes, but I'm really short. It's not, oh, I'm just five, four, I'm five, three. No, like short. So that's just not a lot. And that's okay. The uniqueness. (laughs) Uniqueness is key. So we're going to take a quick break, everybody. But when we come back, we're going to continue to talk with Naja about so many of the wonderful things that she's doing now. She was talking before about her blogging experiences. And now we're going to talk about how she has shifted into helping all of us get our Sojo back. So we'll talk about that at the, when we return from our break. So stay tuned. The Stitch Please podcast is really growing. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and ask a favor. If you are listening to this podcast on a medium that allows you to rate it or review it, for example, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do so. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you could drop me a five-star rating, if you um, have something to say about the podcast and you wanted to include that, a couple sentences in the review box of Apple makes a really big difference in how the podcast is evaluated by Apple, how it becomes more visible. It really is a way to lean into the algorithm that helps to rank podcasts. So if you had time to do that, to drop a little line in the review feature of the podcast, that would be really appreciated and it would help us to grow even further and faster. We 
are back and I am talking with Naja Carroll, who you can find on Instagram as Wannabe Sewing Something. And she has been doing some really great series recently talking about Sojo. And so I wanted to get started with that. And can you tell us what is Sojo and why it's important? Sojo is a term that I think came out of the online sewing community. I I don't know if I could speak to its origins all the way back, but I, I discovered it, like I said, in the online sewing community in the early days, in the early 2000s, when people would refer to their motivation. They'd say, I... Oh, I lost my sojo, or my sojo is low, or I, I need to get my sojo back. Or they'd say, Oh, my sojo is on fire. <laughs> Whenever they were talking about something that they were making. And I think all of us who picked up on it understood just right away what was being said. And that creative energy essentially is sojo, right? Sewing plus mojo. It's your magic, that energy that, that, that drives your either passion to, or your, or your creativity in the moment. So yeah. So losing your sojo is, is the sewist's tragedy. Hmm. Yes. Yes. So you have been working on something that you're calling a Sojo Reclamation Project. Can you tell us about that? I I love this idea of thinking about one's energy and maybe one way to help, help us enter the conversation. Do you think your Sojo needs to be preserved or does it need to be protected? And I, I know there's a slight difference between what it means to preserve something And what it means to protect it. I guess preserving means like keeping it safe, whereas protecting it means defending it. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not I'm not really sure totally what how firm that distinction is. But it is clearly that your your sewing energy is worthy and it's an important part Mm -hmm. of um, a sewist practice. So I don't know if you could talk a little bit about that. Do you think it's something you have to preserve or protect? I consider myself, I named myself a protector of sewing mojo. I did take a somewhat defensive stance just because, yeah, I did. Probably, if I'm honest with myself, it's, it's, it's because, it's because of the activism happening. It's, it's because I wanted to feel aligned, I think, with the racial justice movement to say I am a protector of sewing mojo because when we all know self-care is 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 activism these days is is mm-hmm. it's revolution to yes to care for oneself and show up for oneself through making uh, mm. and for black women we I'll say I, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we, because all the black women I know identify with what I call strong black woman syndrome. <laughs> um, yes, I saw you mention that. Yes. 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 And that's something very real for me growing up. Well, partly my personality, partly just the circumstances of growing up. I'm the oldest of three and, and I had a lot of roles of leadership in my life. And that kind of conditioned me for self-sacrifice. Mm. And, and then working in a corporate job, it, you, you get that 
that sort of employee kind of feelings of 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 where you had to keep keep working. You're like you're on the plantation. You got to get keep going. Yeah, yeah. And produce, produce, produce. Absolutely. And then you start becoming your own. Your own overseer. Yes, thank you. I hesitated to say it. I did. I'm it's still. True. Uh, it's, it's true. It's your own overseer mm-hmm. because you know what capitalism demands yes. is that we extract and contribute as much labor as possible. Absolutely. Whether that's labor we're compensated for or for free, because our value is in what we can do and what we can produce and what we can give to these these structures. So as I'm healing, I am healing from that conditioning to believe that I am my productivity and I am not, I am separate from what I produce. And that distinction is something that a lot of us have to heal from. And as I mentioned, that strong black woman syndrome is, is something that culturally as as leaders and matriarchs of our families and things like that, it it can get internalized into an, an, an unhealthy way. You know, yes, I'm proud of being strong and yes, I project confidence in a way that people want to be drawn to me or whatever, but I need my boundaries. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I need my own private time. I need my own desires and passions to be met. And for me, Mm -hmm. sewing was one of the first just subversive things I had ever done. I'm working these 15 to, to 18 hour days at this job. And then to, to, to take, my time to do something for me that's it, it was it was important so yeah go ahead i know no i i'm just agreeing with you this notion that of the the quote unquote strong black woman is such a dangerous social fiction mm-hmm. because in the same way that recent studies i'm thinking of a 2016 study done by the university of virginia showed that <laughs> this is alarming but showed that medical students at the University of Virginia and by extension, I'd imagine elsewhere, medical students, these are like adults who grew up with the internet, have these beliefs that black people can tolerate more pain than white people. Yes, I've read those. Um, that yes. white people's skin, that black people's skin is thicker, mm-hmm. that black people's blood coagulates more quickly. None of these are true biological facts. You'd think someone who took biology would know this, and it's, very, it's scary to see, think that actual people who are going to be doctors believe this. But because black people in their minds have a higher tolerance for pain, which we don't, we get exposed to more pain. Yeah. And so that this, this quote unquote strong black woman phrase or concept is just a way to disregard. It's another way to disregard us. Mm-hmm. And if we, or as we or for those who do internalize this as somehow goals, then we're, we're only like, we're only in my opinion, helping those who seek to harm us by not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, by not prioritizing, as the Nat Bishop says, I really like her a lot, the Nat Bishop, who has the Nat Ministry, Mm -hmm. that she sees rest as revolution, rest as reparation, especially for, for Black folks in particular, when so much for so many years has been demanded of us. How do we find ways to reclaim and renew ourselves? And that in some that comes from, in her mind, like stepping back and taking rest. Absolutely. And I think that, and I think that your approach to this question about being separate from your productivity and the way that you approach your, you the way that you approach your selling overall is part of a restorative practice that I really appreciate. It is about that. It is about being being restored and allowing yourself, giving yourself permission and and and, and me healing out loud and in public is my way to show other people that you can engage in sewing and have 
all these feelings and feel some kind of way and keep coming back and recognize what you're coming back to. You're coming back to yourself. You're coming back to your your desires and your potential. It's it, the sewing is such a perfect metaphor for life that to engage in it regularly, to allow it to be the anchor uh, of how you actuate your self-esteem, that for someone like me who has to to learn rest, to learn to to give myself permission to create. That's really what Sojo is about is regularly, habitually, ritually giving myself permission to create. Because as a mother, as a working mother, because there was a time in my life as well that I was the breadwinner. And that that I think maybe put my uh, strong black woman situation in overdrive. And I found mm-hmm. myself, I just found myself not sewing. And I had that, 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 that lost my soldier feeling. And I knew when people would talk about that, I was like, I know what they're talking about now, where you just can't look at your sewing room and you, yeah. So I want this back. I used to do this and why don't I anymore? Yes. yes. And so that's yes. one of the things I really appreciated. I remember um, in one of the lives that you do and you all should definitely, and, and do you, have you saved all your IG lives? Yeah. I, do you they're have them there on your now. Page? They're all on my IG TV. I don't know if they'll be there forever, but I'll keep doing them. But if the, the original ones is definitely there. Yeah. I love the one that you did when you were pouring the water mm-hmm. out of the teacup into the, it was, you know, you were basically thinking about this as a finite system, yes. a finite sense. I don't know. I just thought that was really wonderful the tea, because the it was such metaphor. a, yeah. it was a great metaphor because you really can't, there's only so much you can do, you know, mm-hmm. that there's that vessels have finite capacities. <laughs> yeah. That's a basic physics concept and a basic life concept that really does apply well in sewing. Um, so I want, uh, I want to talk about if we can shift to talking about your IG, your IG lives. Sure. So I know those who listen to the podcast know that I do IG lives every week on Thursdays and I've been doing them for over a year now, maybe heading into a year and a half. And my, my IG live philosophy is organic <laughs> because I get on there and I have no idea where I'm going to end up. Recent exception to this was um, when I do like special events, if I have people that I'm sharing the lives with, and so that gives them more structure. But when I watch your lives, I feel like because I'm also a professor and I do think about pedagogy, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to class and sit and learn something (laughs) from nausea today, as opposed to mine, where it's just, oh my gosh, y'all, let me go get some lipstick real quick before my sister comes on here and starts clowning me um, (laughs) for not having on lipstick. She is, she is a very good one for that. She's like, I sent, I sent you four tubes of lipstick and you couldn't put one on today. What? That Uh is, that is a real dilemma. I think my first live, I wore some Ruby Woo. And then I was like, I don't wear this on a regular basis. (laughs) And to look at myself with this bright red lipstick and I'm not at a party. I was like, okay, no, let's, let's get the lip gloss and the, and the Carmex back out. Girl, please. (laughs) I am going to, I put, I'm putting on all the party lipsticks and I am practicing wearing red. So (laughs) y'all going to get this Ruby Woo and anybody else I can find that looks like a red lipstick. Well, red lipstick. Um, is is if you ever feel like you want to get over being nervous and feel powerful, just put on some red lipstick. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
Amen. Yes. So tell us, so your lives, though, um, they're at 555, which is a perfect time. Yeah. So I rem- it sticks in my imagination, <laughs> so I remember it. Yes. But you have these really clear plans um, about the things you want to share in the lives. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes them so useful and so such really just beautiful little distillations of your thoughts that then inspire us to think. Can you talk about why you started doing that series and what you want us to get out of it? Well, it it came from desperate research, actually. (laughs) When the, the, so I, I, as I told you about my history, I know all about losing my soldier, all the different times in my life when I lost it. Uh, And so I felt like I was an expert on losing my soldier (laughs) because I've been sewing for 10 years and I know all the ways, like I know all the the pure definition of, of what it meant. And I think really it's just more of a, natural story of, of any sewist journey, but I felt like it needed to be told. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't just by myself <laughs> in this mm. experience. And to Facebook, which is great, because all of the Facebook groups, especially the public ones, <clears throat> are just full of people who want to learn, want to share. And I asked in the Facebook groups, I asked on the pattern review forums, all the places that I had been all the years that I've been learning sewing. I, I, I went in and I said, do you understand what I'm talking about with losing your sojo? Is that happening to you? Cause it started at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, is this, is that real for you? What is What are your challenges? And I just asked these questions and I had so much feedback. I got over 150 responses from wow. people and just in total. And in the corporate world, I was a, a project manager and a data analyst. So I was just like nerd central. So I got data. <laughs> like, <laughs> Look at all this data. This is so exciting. It's just my birthday. It was. I just completely nerded and I got pivot tables and everything else. So I took all this data and categorized all of it. And I realized that there's, there's, uh, there's questions in here. And a lot of people ask a lot of questions. I, I One time I had gone in and I said, you know, what... If, if you wanted to reclaim your soldier, what questions, you know, would you have about that? And it's so that I could answer them because like I said, I've been sewing for a while and I know those answers to reclaim my soldier are within me. Like I said, I can tap into all of my skill sets to rescue myself. I'm a project manager. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a homeschooler. You know what I'm saying? I, I've done a lot of different things. So I thought that I could heal and lead at the same time by taking all this data and answering these questions and, and, and reflecting back to the sewing community what I had heard. And, and, hmm. um, and yes. yeah, because I knew it was real. And I wasn't seeing it like on Instagram. I wasn't seeing it because Instagram isn't a platform for that, right? No, it's not. Uh, this is, the, Instagram is a highlight reel. Yes, indeed. And I knew. No one is showing yeah. how raggedy their things look. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that is it exactly. I was just like, let me be raggedy <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it's true. No, it's, true. it's real. It is a real um, thing. And I and I and I'm such I I I just have low tolerance for inauthentic or inauthenticity kind of. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. social media is just scroll after scroll. Oh my god! Of it, and I just you know what. I'm not going to be mad. I don't need to pour haterade on this. Let me just put my own thing yes. out there. Tell the story that I think others want to hear. Um, uh, the, 
somebody out there is in a moment where, yes, their sojo is either low or gone or they put an APB out on it, whatever, (laughs) whatever it is. But there's it's just kind of like my own special victims unit (laughs) for yourself. And and that's what I did. So I took these questions and that's where the live streams are coming from. Um, That's why they're organized, because I'm literally answering these questions from the sewing community. Like, why does my sojo come and go? Why do I keep procrastinating? Right. All these little. Oh, terms. yes. Oh, I am big on cr- procrastination. Oh, my. Especially when it comes time to grade these people's papers and assignments. You know what? I could grade this or I could go make a I can make a card for a friend. I think I might need to make that card real quick. Or put the facing on this this top. Yeah, and, and honestly, when I used to work in the corporate world, sewing was my procrastination from working, especially when I would work from home. So now that I'm not in the corporate world, and I find and I find moments when I'm struggling to sew, or I procrastinate on my own sewing, I'm like. That's the kind of self-sabotage I don't necessarily need. (laughs) And then so I got to go deeper. I got to think about when I I think about what is happening here. Why am I feeling repelled by what gives me joy? Oh, I love that. So when I, when you start asking those questions to yourself, you, oh, okay. What is the answer? Tell me the answer to that question. Why am I being repelled by something that gives me joy? Can we stay with that a little bit? Sure. When that happens, is it project-based or is it something else? Is this a signal to you? Are we supposed to say, wait a minute, do you not want to make this? Are you tired of this? Or is there something else going on? I don't know. Is that, what kind of, what kind of signal does that, when that happens to you, what does that tell you about your sewing and, or your, your life or state of mind in the moment? Mm -hmm. It's definitely about self-awareness and getting in touch with whatever that feeling is. It's different each time. Uh, Sometimes you have a project that you're, you started and your motives for starting it were misaligned but you felt like, oh, I got to finish this. (laughs) You'll procrastinate Mm. for that reason. That's a different kind of procrastination. That's more getting realigned with your why, why are you doing this in the first place? Maybe Mm. you started at the beginning of the season, now at the end of the season, you're feeling like I want to sew something different. So just giving yourself permission to release it is, is all you would do there. But when that, when you feel repelled to do anything to sew at all, or when sewing is your joy and you think, I want to feel better or, or, or I want to feel like myself, you know, those, mm. those, those things uh, happen. And you reach for that activity that makes you feel like yourself or that makes you feel better. And you find yourself, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't. For me, that's the moment when I know my creative energy is depleted. Oh yeah. Because so when people say sewing is my self-care, that's true. Sewing is your self-care. Sewing can heal. It's, sewing is my therapy. There's all these hashtags out there. that are. That's true. That's true. And that's one of the reasons why I reject the phrase selfish sewing. I hear that so much mm-hmm. and it makes me very frustrated because I'm like, the idea, I think that this is only something that happens to women, that if you somehow, somehow that doing something for ourselves is selfish, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm, that makes, it makes absolutely See, no, no sense I, to me. Now I had to, I actually use self as seamstress as a definition. Yes, I let's do. talk about I that. Do. Let's talk about that. And let's I, fight. Let's fight. <laughs> let's fight. <laughs> no, I, I reclaimed that. I claimed it back. So tell me more. Tell me more about how you defend selfish sewing as a concept. Have you seen those t-shirts that have the definition of sewist on it? And it, yes. yeah, yeah. And it says, cause I'm sewing this for me and no, I'm not going to hem your pants. Right. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes. I've seen those. Yeah. Similarly to the, no, you can't touch my hair. Right. It, it, yes, it, absolutely. It is a defensive posturing, but it's, it's taking yes. back the word selfish because when I am selfish and I fill up my cup first, then I am fully capable and ready to help you fill up yours. I am not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that is So when I call myself a self-esteem stress, that's an affirmation for me. Okay. Yes. It, that's fill up your, no, no, yeah. I love that. And that's, yeah. So you can't pour from an empty cup. We know this. You can't pour from an empty cup. And so by, so you see the process of filling up your cup renewing and restoring yourself. I love that. I agree with that. I think maybe I still, I am not at the point that you have arrived at where I'm un, where I'm able to destigmatize the word selfish. Certainly. And I language think, is That's important. my problem. No, that's, I think that's my challenge. But I think what you're doing is I totally agree with it. It's like, it's like the, it's like, um, when, when people claim fat, back, right? They say, I'm yes. fat. I'm just a fat girl, yes. you know, whatever. Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes. yeah. No, I appreciated that too. Like, yes, no, it's true. And and a lot often, very often marginalized groups, part of our claiming our power is to take things that people use to humiliate mm-hmm. us and turn them into moments of our own power. Yes. And to re- and so we hear this, for example, with there's an academic discipline called queer studies and queer theory. And for a long time, the word queer was a slur. Mm-hmm. And so this, I think the saying with fat mm-hmm. and with, with a lot of like fat activism and people being, being very deliberate about that. I think that that's another way that people have reclaimed something that's harmful. And so I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I still, again, I still have things that I'm working through. Everybody mm-hmm. does. Yeah. That, that by, by taking selfish and saying, okay, yeah, I'm selfish. Fine. You yes, have to, I, had to give I, I am centering myself. Yeah, no, it, this for me, it was revolutionary. It was, it was me giving myself permission to take that time because that repellent feeling that, that, that I, I took all this time to create a whole room. I have a whole home studio. Why would I yes. not go into it? What is my problem? Right? Like <laughs> what? And it was, it was, it was that, that strong black woman triggering that would happen. Life would get mm. hard. I felt like I needed to control everything in my life. And, and, and oh, I gotta make sure this happens. I make, make oh, my daughter needs this. Oh, my husband needs me for that. Oh, I gotta make sure I'm at this meeting. All of these these feelings of the external world needing my power. Yes, and if you gave it all away to them, what do you have for yourself? And that's what would happen. That's why I would feel repelled because I gave it all up. So for me to say I'm a selfish seamstress, that is saying. Don't bring me your pants to him. Right. right <laughs> that is that's right. that is saying uh, also this is my time. Now, of course I sew things yes. for my daughter. Of course, of course. I'm, I'm yeah, putting yeah. the button back on this or whatever, but I only 
allow myself to do those things when I have done something for myself first. So in my house, there's a rule. Mm. And of course I have the, the closet that has all the things that needs to be repaired in it. <laughs> and I just wow. hang them up when I put them in there because when you sew at home, you are the, you're the, the house seamstress. That's just part mm-hmm. of the job. But if my husband has a pair of shorts that needs the pocket repaired on it, I am not allowed to fix that unless I replace the elastic in my, in my, in my pants because I got fatter. You have to do something for yourself yes, first. You know, and it's the thing I tell people all the time. Like, there's a reason why on the airplanes they say, "Put on your oxygen mask first." On your put on your oxygen mask first before helping other passengers. Yes. Because if you aren't getting sustained, if your cup is empty, how on earth can you help anybody else? Yes, it's, you know? it's the yin yang balance between selfish and selflessness what it is. I love that. That selflessness. I think that this is hitting against my own processes and internalizations that somehow, I think I'm wondering why the word selfish is hitting me so strongly. And I think it probably has to do with this assumption that as, as women, as mothers, we are supposed to be quote unquote selfless. Yes. And it's, I am not about living a life of abnegation. And my sewing shouldn't be that either. And so it's just, that's, that's so powerful. I really love how you're getting people to think very seriously about that. In our, in our last few moments, I really want to shift to talking about some of the resources that you've created. So you've created the archive of your IGTV, and now you are moving into ebook territory. And you've very kindly given listeners the first chapter of the book that talks about a few tips. But can you talk about how you are transitioning into publishing? Yeah, I decided to self-publish. I've been a blogger for a long time, as I told you, a writer, and sewing and writing go hand in hand for me, mm-hmm. despite the fact that I jumped into the fire with that sewing um, and blogging uh, every week thing. But it, it, it was doing that cemented that sewing and, and, and writing are necessary to tell those stories. Just like you had said about all of the garments in your closet when you were purging, each one of those had a story. And I think that if you've been sewing for a long time, not only does every garment have a story, but your whole sewing journey is its own story. And yeah, yeah. And so I felt like if I was on this social reclamation mission, if this was my personal project, and of course I learned and got validated that other people are looking for a similar help then why not? Why not take what I would have normally put up on my blog and and publish it uh, as an ebook and to self-publish? So the first chapter of that book is called Three Reasons Why Passionate Women Lose Their Sewing Mojo. And I wanted to just come out with that right away and, and offer that to people who maybe like me, need a bit of soja reclamation. And if it, even if it isn't just the net that it's gone, because it it's a lot of different stages. Your soja could be gone. It could be fluctuating. It could be in danger. It could be at risk. There's all these different, yes. yeah, yeah. Or you notice that your sewing is inconsistent or 
what you're making, what you're creating. If you, you might even know that it, you might notice that it's not actually giving you joy. Like you went for the joy, but at the end you didn't. There's, there's that some subtle stuff too, that ultimately I'll probably get into on my lives. But Sojo is its own thing. And I wanted to write about that in a way that was also entrepreneurial. <laughs> As now that I am, you know, I work for myself now, I'm a independent, uh, I'm a business consultant and I have business clients who are trying to run and start their businesses. And so it aligned, right, to for me to lead and build at the same time, lead and heal at the same time. So that's what that's about. The IG lives are, like you said, free lessons or just free me sharing my awakenings about certain things by answering these questions. I'm answering them for myself as well. Mm -hmm. And I feel like folks can just join me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This has been so beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us today. How can people find you on the socials? Where, if we want to look you up, which I'm sure we all do, um, how can we find you? Of course, I'm on Instagram doing my IG lives at wannabe sewing something. And if you ever forget, just think of the Michael Jackson song, want to be starting something and change it to sewing. <laughs> And I also have wannabesewingsomething.com as my website where my blog is as well. Excellent. This has been so delightful. Thank you so much again for taking the time. What a wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Lisa. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcasts um, directories or services allow for reviews but for those who do for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast that is incredibly helpful thank you so much come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together